Five seconds to go. Touchdown! Unbelievable! Take it in, folks. This is Texan Overtime, a daily Texan podcast dedicated to everything and anything Longhorn sports. I'm audio producer Carly Rose. In this episode of Overtime, we dive into the recent controversy surrounding the NCAA's basketball tournaments and what it tells us about gender inequity in collegiate sports today. In March, reports of unequal facilities at the women's and men's NCAA tournaments sparked public outrage against gender inequity in collegiate sports. The NCAA is apologizing for a disparity in equipment and facilities after women's basketball players brought the issue up on social media. Many were outraged, outraged to see the difference in the workout facilities given to the men's and women's teams during March Madness. To Katie Lever, a former Division I track athlete and third-year doctoral student studying NCAA discourse at the University of Texas, news of the tournament's inequalities was upsetting, though unfortunately not anything she hadn't seen before. I'm definitely disappointed in the way that the um, NCAA initially went about the tournament. Um, I'm not super surprised though. WNBA center and former Texas basketball star Imani McGee Stafford said these disparities are nothing new. The entire system is broken. And I think every year is frustrating because every year there is something like this that happens. And every year we get upset, we get outraged, and then the same thing happens the next year. Oregon Ducks player Sedona Prince's viral TikTok showed the stark differences in the women's and men's weight room facilities. Here's our practice court, right? And then here's that weight room. And then here's all this extra space. If you aren't upset about this problem, then you're a part of it. She was pointing out the, the so-called weight room that the women initially got in San Antonio. And it was a rack of free weights and a stack of yoga mats. Um, whereas the men, they got these fully decked out squat racks and like all this nice equipment and gear in a huge, huge room. And, and, and it's problematic, obviously, from an optics perspective, but it's also problematic from a health and safety perspective. Another video by Prince showed the prepackaged meals provided to the women's teams, which differed from the buffet style variety offered at the men's tournament. It looks like we got some kind of meat here, um, mashed potatoes and vegetables. It's so tasty. Sid, how do you like it? Um, I'm not trying. <laughs> These are moist. <laughs> After initial complaints regarding unequal facilities, the NCAA said there was enough space, a claim that Prince's viral video sought to disprove. Sports companies began offering support and equipment to the women's teams, putting even more pressure on the NCAA to take responsibility. And eventually what happened is, is brands in San Antonio really started to step up and say like, hey, we're gonna support these women. So Orange Theory um, was offering access to their studios uh, for free for the women's teams. And then Dick's Sporting Goods really stepped up and donated a lot of equipment to the women. Online criticism over both the unequal facilities and the organization's initial response led NCAA President Mark Emmert to make a statement acknowledging the organization's responsibility for the inequalities, eventually saying that the NCAA dropped the ball. He actually made multiple excuses until finally he was like, oh, actually, we could have done better. The first was there's not enough room. And then nobody showed the entire nine, like 10,000 square foot of empty space. And then they were like, oh, well, we didn't have enough time. To me, the NCAA played a very minimal role there, and they only did the right thing when they were forced to. Um, but it's important to note that 
doing the right thing was always an option for them. They just chose to to wait and, and be forced into it. Um, so it's kind of disappointing to think that the NCAA thought that these women were just going to be grateful to be there and not call that out. But that, that was kind of kind of the optics of it. The NCAA revealed that its budget for the men's basketball tournament in 2019 was nearly double the amount allocated for the women's tournament. It says this disparity is due to differences in popularity and format. But Katie argues that the NCAA could increase the visibility for its women's tournaments if it was actually interested in doing so. If you look at um, spending discrepancies between men's and women's programs across the NCAA, so women's programs um, only receive about 20% of marketing and recruiting dollars and about 40% of scholarship dollars. That's according to the NCAA. So they know this is happening, but they're not really doing anything about it. The NCAA doesn't let women use the trademark March Madness. Um, so they completely take them out of that promotional picture. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy that the NCAA is engaging in. If you under-resource women's sports, of course they're gonna underperform. The NCAA claims that greater interest in the men's tournament explains the disparities in budgeting. Imani argues that the widespread support for the women's teams among the recent outrage indicates a lack of interest is not the problem. The answer is always there's no market for it. There's nobody available, there's no resources. And we literally saw within 24 hours, three of the biggest sports companies in equipment companies volunteer their services, right? So is it, no, is it that there's no resources or is it that you're not putting the same amount of time and effort in? Emeritus Professor of Psychology, Rebecca Bigler, echoes the sentiment. Even at the collegiate level, the men's teams are advantaged in terms of the kind of publicity they get, the resources they have, uh, etc., compared to female teams. Gender inequity and discrimination doesn't just come out of nowhere. Gender stereotypes are shown to kids from an early age, especially in the sports world. So if you watch football in the fall, any kid notices, oh, the people on the field are all boys. And, you know, often depending on the situation, the cheerleaders are female. So things like gender segregation also then contribute and lead kids to start to believe that there are two genders and they're different from each other in these systematic ways. Katie talked about some of the issues of the perceptions of women in sports that stem from these stereotypes of macho men and dainty women. Another thing that comes to mind is just the way that women athletes are viewed in terms of how, how our bodies should look. So um, I've had you know, I've had trainers tell me not to lift weights um, before, and I've had to fight them on that um, because weights are super important for injury prevention. But the mindset was, you know, if women lift weights, you're going to bulk up and that's not like that's not a good look. <laughs> and so which is just which is a very, very harmful mindset to have because weight training is so important to athletes of, of all genders and all sports. Imani aired similar grievances, mentioning Title IX, a 1972 civil rights law that protects people against gender based discrimination in education programs and other federally funded programs, including sports. This means men's and women's programs are required to receive the same level of support, facilities, and supplies. It's frustrating because even now, if you're looking at the women's um, volleyball tournament, until it was publicized that they weren't going to have locker rooms, until the Elite Eight, that they weren't going to have on-air broadcasters, until the Elite Eight, it was completely fine. So it's just the fact that you, you, you're not even pretending to care about women's sports anymore. Like, at least pretend, right? Act like Title IX exists. You're not even giving us the effort or the 
acknowledgement that we understand what we, de- what we require. We also have a fan base that acknowledges that as well. The early draft of Title IX was written by Representative Patsy Mink of the U.S. House with help from Representative Edith Green. On June 23rd, Title IX was signed into law by President Richard Nixon and went into effect on July 1st that same year. Title IX made a difference, but it didn't fix all of the problems, which we saw, for example, at the NCAA basketball tournament this year when the men's weight room was much nicer, you know, more expensive equipment, bigger, etc., than the women's weight room. While Title IX is often considered a net positive, there is one way progress was lost, according to Professor Bigler. Very recently, less than half of all women's collegiate coaches had a female coach. And that is because when the money and prestige went up, um, it appears that men went into coaching female teams, right? When Title IX said you've got to pay these coaches of women's teams more, men came over and got those jobs. Again, because of gender stereotypes in part, um, that hiring boards... um, The hiring was usually done by an athletic director. That athletic director was usually male, and that male went on to hire men coaches of women's teams over women's coaches. In 1972, 90% of women's college coaches were women themselves. But as of 2019, it's only about 40%, and only about 3% of men's college coaches are women. So how does the University of Texas athletics fit into this picture? According to Katie, UT had its share of Title IX issues at the start when several universities resisted the law. DK Royal, in fact, was a staunch opponent of Title IX. He did not want it. He viewed it as a threat. He thought that women's athletics would um, threaten football and take resources away from that sport. However, Imani said that in her experience at Texas, the men's and women's athletic rooms and equipment were quite similar, which she attributes to the priorities of the facility's donors. I think Texas is unique because we share our facility with the men. And while there were minor differences, like the men's film room had, like, bigger couches. Like, they all had lazy boys, but we had, like, regular couches. Like, there weren't huge disparities because we shared our facility with the men. And realistically, the people that donated to build our practice facility, it was 50-50 men and women. So, like, Marion Dozier, um, rest in peace, she was a huge advocate for women's basketball. So, she built most of that facility. So, it's... Like, Texas didn't really have a choice because she came from women's basketball and she paid for the facility, so the facility was very equal in that regard. However, donors don't always control the money. When the university dictates where their money goes, we can see, well, in this case here, a clear difference. This is how much UT spends on women's athletics, according to the U.S. Department of Education for the 2018-2019 school year. Around $25 million. And here's how much they spend on male athletics. Just over $65 million. Men's and women's revenues are representative of these spending budgets. UT Men's Athletics makes around $16 million in revenue, while Women's Athletics makes just over $2 million. But as Katie said earlier when criticizing the NCAA on the lack of marketing for women's sports, it raises the question, what would happen if UT were to increase marketing on women's sports? UT women's sports definitely aren't lacking in talent. This past year alone, UT women's basketball made it all the way to the Elite Eight, and women's volleyball placed second in the national championships. Although Title IX was designed to address gender inequities in education, the story of this year's NCAA basketball tournament indicates that this equality has yet to be realized. Social media played a huge role in igniting the widespread outrage over the tournament's unequal facilities. 
Imani said social media has become a tool in addressing these continued inequalities because female athletes can share their experiences and concerns. You think that it's completely fine and, and that women athletes are going to come up and be happy to be there and that they were not, we're not going to ask for what we deserve. And as we've seen, like, no, that's not the case anymore. Social media does is a, is a big help to this because we know what's going on. You know, like this probably has been happening for years, right? Especially when everything started, but there wasn't a way to get it out quickly. You know, there wasn't a way to get the masses to understand what's happening as fast as we can today. For those wondering how they can support equal resources and treatment for women's collegiate sports, Katie said being a part of an active and vocal fan base is a great place to start. Supporting women's sports as viewers and as consumers is so important. So, um, you know, sometimes you do have to dig for women's sporting events like on ESPN3 um, or on some buried channels. Um, but just watching the games, I mean, that that increases viewership. It increases exposure. It tells the NCAA and the networks, hey, we want to watch this. We value this product. And also just following women athletes and coaches on um, social media and engaging with their content is a great way to support women's sports too. It's also important that we pay attention to the way we talk about women's sports and tackle our own internal biases. You know, I do have issues with with uh, the phrasing of like female athlete versus athlete, um, because when we're talking about athletes, male is kind of implied there. Um, so even saying things like, oh, I'm watching I'm watching the men's March Madness or I'm watching the women's March Madness and keeping it equitable there so that male is not the default and women is not the afterthought. According to Professor Bigler, supporting women's sports also looks like teaching children not to have these implicit gender biases. So children essentially grow up. By the time they even start school, they think gender categories are important, there's two of them, and the genders are really different from each other. And then they look out in the world and pay attention to gender, and then they see that in fact, there are lots of ways in which the genders are different. When it comes to addressing the issue of gender inequity in the NCAA, Imani suggested a change in leadership or creating an alternative to the NCAA to give athletes the power of choice. Imani reminds us that these institutional changes begin on the individual level. If you want to change the world, you change your environment first. And maybe for you and for other people, changing literally the people that live in my house is all I can do. And that does not mean that you didn't change the world. Like that's literally how it starts, and it's a ripple effect. This has been Texan Overtime, a production of the Daily Texans Audio and Sports Departments. This episode was made with the help of audio staffers Austin Cheatham and Michaela Mondragon. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe to the Daily Texan on your streaming platform of choice. Follow us on Twitter at Texan Sports and Texan Audio. And check us out at thedailytexan.com. I'm audio producer Carly Rose. Thanks for listening.